Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we conclude our series, Recalibrate. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Yeah, all right. A bumper that gets applause. I like that. Uh, good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? Great. <laughs> All right. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to ask a question. How many of you have told a joke or a story expecting to be met with like uproarious applause at the end, only to be met with crickets? Anyone know that experience? Some of you will not be surprised. I'm very familiar with this feeling. Um, and it doesn't actually just happen on the stage. I remember years ago, I was driving with my mom. She was driving. And uh, I told her to what this day I'm convinced is the best joke ever uttered by human lips, right? And it's, this, it's got story components. And I'm telling this joke. And I get to the big punchline, nothing. Like not a peep, not a smile. So I assume she just didn't hear me. <clears throat> so I clear my throat. And then I begin again from the top, right? <laughs> And I get about four seconds in, and my mom, without even looking at me, goes, I heard you the first time. It's just not funny. <laughs> I love my mom. I love my mom for so many reasons. But many of us know, though, that responses are integral to relational interactions, right? Like, it would be weird if you went to coffee with your spouse, with a friend, and no one said anything to anyone. Or someone was saying something, and the other person just sat staring blankly back at them. That would be strange. We know this to be true. And as John mentioned, we're wrapping up this series, Recalibrate. And we've called it that because we know that it's easy to kind of get off track in our spiritual journey. It's easy to kind of wander or veer or get distracted. And so we've been talking about what it means to kind of recalibrate, to refocus, to realign our hearts, our minds, our spirits to God and what he's doing in the world. The first time we talked about uh, remembering, right? This idea that we remember who God is, what he's done, what he says about himself. But not just that, that we also remember who he says we are. When other voices want to like whisper untruths, they want to distract us or knock us off course, we remember who God says we are and whose he says we are. And the following week, we talked about a posture of receiving, right? In a, in, a, in a world that always wants to grab, wants to grasp, we receive. We don't come to Jesus arms full of all the things that we do for him. We come arms empty and we receive grace. It's a posture of receiving. We talk about showing up in our groups on Sunday mornings expecting God to do something. That we'll receive something from him. So today I want to talk about this idea of responding to respond to God based on what we know of him, what he says to be true of us based on what we've received. How do we respond? And before I answer that question, um, I want us to define worship again really quick because I know plenty of us maybe have different opinions about what this word means. The way we've been talking about worship is this, giving your whole self to God. Worship is giving your whole self to God, not just Sunday mornings, not just an hour out of your week, but everything you are and everything you have is an expression of worship. Now, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, I think put it brilliantly. Here's what he says. He says, therefore I, what's this word here? Come on, we're all friends here. What's it say? Urge. I urge you, brothers and sisters. Now, anytime in Scripture the writer urges someone, we should pay attention. 
It's not a suggestion. He's saying, listen, pay, pay attention to what I'm about to say. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So he's saying, open your eyes to everything that God's already done. He's not about to give them instruction in order to earn God's mercy, to earn his favor, to earn his love. He says, no, 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 that's already been freely given. So in view of that, in light of that, here's where he challenges us. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what's the word? Worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul is urging them. There's a lot of things he could have been urging them towards. He's saying, don't forget what God has done and is doing in and through you. That's the remembering piece, right? Hold on to that. Remember who he is and who he says you are. Receive the free gift of grace in Jesus that you could never earn or deserve no matter how hard you try. And he says, here's how you respond. Don't just offer your Sunday mornings. Don't just offer your church friends or your church environments. He says, offer your whole bodies, your whole mind, your whole soul. Everything you are and everything you have, offer that. That is your true and proper worship. Another way that I've heard worship defined is this. That worship is the act of pouring oneself out. Now note, uh, I didn't put the act of pouring oneself out to God, and here's why. Because I believe that every single one of us is a worshiper. That part's not optional. Whether you came in this morning, you've been walking with God for a long time, or you're not even really sure how you got here, maybe someone dragged you here, all of us are worshipers. We are all pouring ourselves out for someone or something. It's not an if, but a how. We are all continuously outpouring for someone or something. And so in scripture, when God talks about worshiping him and him alone, it's not because he's like a needy junior higher. It's not because he's like self-conscious. It's because he knows that that's what we're wired for. That when we put the weight and expectation of God on anything other than God, that thing eventually crumbles beneath the weight. Are we tracking? Does anyone... Does anyone know what it feels like to put the full weight and expectation on someone or a position or a salary and then it eventually lets you down? Maybe you felt like, man, once I make this much money or I live in this neighborhood, I've made it this far in my career, then I'll feel fulfilled. Then I'll have purpose and identity and right on the other side of accomplishing it, you realize it's not even close. We are all pouring ourselves out for someone or something. It could be a person, a cause, a status, an experience, an achievement. But here's the reality. We will become what we revere. We'll become what we behold and we'll reflect what we revere. We become what we behold and we reflect what we revere. Whatever that thing is that we pour ourselves out for, that eventually changes us from the inside out. It could be a relationship, an accomplishment, an experience, a certain status. Whatever we pour ourselves out for, whatever, whatever we empty ourselves out for, that will begin to affect who we're becoming. But God reminds us over and over again that we are made in his image and likeness. So that to worship God, to direct our outpouring to him, means we become more and more who he made us to be. Who our creator designed us to be. Now the reality that's, I think, probably true for most of us is that that's fine and good in a room like this, right? We're like, yeah, we could even like nod in agreement, but 
it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? I know it is for me. Like, I, I sometimes I drift. I wander. And they're not, I'm not talking about, like, I'm not talking about felonies. Like, I, don't, I assume most of you are going out and stealing cars this afternoon, right? Like, it's, it's like small things here and there where we forget who God is and we forget who we are. And over the course of time, we end up somewhere that we, we never expected we would be. Anyone, anyone know that feeling? How did I get here? How, how am I now acting like that? How did I believe this about God and about others. So, so in light of all that, in light of this need for us to recalibrate, to realign, how do we actually respond? Well, I thought instead of just talking about it, we would actually practice it together. Doesn't, does that sound fun? Does that sound okay? Two of you. I'm going to do it anyway. So, Because um, here's the thing. Sometimes when, when we talk about worship, it can feel kind of like ethereal, right? It's kind of nebulous. It's kind of like out there. It's like fantasia. Like, I don't, ooh, I don't even know what worship is, right? I want to I kind of move this idea of worship from the ethereal to the personal. And we're going to do that uh, a number of different ways. The first is through what we're going to call praise. Through the act of praise. This is maybe the component that's most natural to us. The one we kind of expect. The, the singing praises to God. I love what uh, the psalmist writes in Psalm 150. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre with a Y, not an I. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals, which is the only one I'm really qualified to do. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So everyone, I want you to take just a big breath in right now. Okay, if you just did that, you're qualified. Um, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I love the almost like manic nature of this, of this psalm because he's sort of listing all of these things as a way to communicate whatever it looks like, do that. Praise God, figure out how to do that for you. Some of you, it's going to be singing. Some of you, it's going to be playing instruments. Some of you, it's through going for a walk. It's painting. There's different ways that I think God has wired us to express praise. He says right at the top, right? Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. The point is this. The part of our response is to sing praises back to God. Not so that he loves us, but because in Jesus, he already does. That's the good news. That while we could do nothing to save ourselves, God didn't just like write a rule book and say, figure it out. He sends himself. God sends himself. He loved us so much that he'd rather die than live without us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. This singing thing is fine for those of us who are singers. I'm not a singer. I want you to know I'm with you. I feel that. I played drums for far too long without earplugs. I don't, I don't have a good sense of singing at all. But I read an article a couple months back that I found really fascinating. And it, and it wasn't a Christian article by any stretch. But the article um, was kind of making the point that singing aloud together actually affects our physiology. The article called this a neurological force amplifier. The article was talking about that when we sing aloud together with a group of people, it actually affects our brains. It affects our body in a really positive way. When we sing aloud together, even poorly, it makes our brains more receptive to learning. It actually affects chemicals in our body that bond us to the people around us. It creates a greater sense of community. Does that sound like any place that you go, maybe weekly, I don't know, maybe on a Sunday? 
even if you're totally tone deaf, which I'm with you, singing aloud together in a room makes a big difference. Now, I think the example they used was like a Bon Jovi concert, unfortunately. Um, but uh, sorry, I mean, okay, they're okay. Um, but like, how about, like, have you ever been in a Cubs game where like everyone's singing, go Cubs, go? It's not a beautiful harmony. It isn't, right? But it's like, oh man, th- these are my people. I don't, whatever the socks sing, I don't know, better luck next time or whatever they sing. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not, I'm from Detroit. Um, my, my point is this. Singing isn't just this like churchy idea that like we should do it because there's musicians on the stage and this is the time where we do it. We're actually hardwired to receive, to respond in singing, and it makes our brains more receptive to learning, and it bonds us to the people we're with. It's why we do it together, because we remember together that we're in this together. We thank God not only for the good gifts of life and breath and family, but also community, that we don't walk this road alone. So I figured we actually practice this allowed together. So I'm going to invite the band out on the stage, and uh, while they come, why don't you all stand wherever you're at. Go ahead, stand wherever you're at, and let's, let's get ready to actually say, want some tr- trunk rotations here? Want to get some, yeah, twists? You want to do some, like, noodle arms? Why don't you high-five the people around you real quick? Just high-five them and say, let's get this. Let's do this. Let's, let's make this happen. See? Wow, you guys are good at that part. Um, even by that, even by turning to your right and left and recognizing like, oh, I'm not a silo, I'm not alone, like we're experiencing this together. I believe God wants to remind us over and over again that we don't sing out of guilt, we don't sing because he somehow demands it, we sing because God has been so good to us. Our response is, God, even when I can't see you, even when I'm unsure of what you're doing, I will praise you for your greatness, for your presence, for your provision, the things that you've done and the things that I believe that you're doing in our midst. We get to be a part of that together. So we're gonna sing and that's something that we do every week but I wanna challenge you right now to really sing. Those of you who are tone deaf in the room, like let it rip. Just go for it because it isn't about how pretty our voices sound. It's about declaring, it's about praising together this God who loves us and sees us and knows us by name. Let's sing aloud together. You can be seated. So we just sang about this idea of 10,000 reasons. And I, I know that I've, I've sat in chairs like that in rooms like this one where I have struggled to find one of those reasons, right? That's real. I, But what I want to challenge you to keep coming back to is God's love toward us, his generosity with us. And that's the second practice I want to walk us through is one of generosity. And this idea of generosity, particularly in scripture, is really beautiful because from from Genesis to Revelation, the idea isn't to, to give to God, to be generous with God because he's somehow like strapped for cash, that we need to be guilted into giving. The whole point of generosity is a reflection, a response of God's generosity to us. It's a reflex of him initiating generosity to us first. Maybe the most famous scripture in all of, in all of the Bible is, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. 
he gave. Now, there's this beautiful passage here in 2 Corinthians. It says, remember this. Again, anytime a biblical author says, remember this, we should remember that. It means take note of this. You're prone to forget this. You might wander away from this. So remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And I think that that last verse has been mistaught a lot. That God wants us to sort of like fake smile, like we should give because look at how much he's done for us. That, I don't think that's the point at all. I think the point is that when we give, when we're generous, when we live with our hands open rather than clenched closed, we're actually reflecting his nature. A God who didn't have to give, didn't have to send Jesus, doesn't have to be with us now, but continues to pour himself out to be generous with us. There's a, uh, an author named Harold Best, and I love the way he puts it when describing worship. He says this, he says, we were created continuously outpouring. Note that I did not say that you were created to be continuous outpours, nor can I dare imply that we were created to worship. This would suggest that God is an incomplete person whose need for something outside himself completes his sense of himself. I believe it's strategically important, therefore, to say that we were created continuously outpouring. We were created in that condition at that instant, Imago Dei. Now, Imago Dei simply means image of God. We were created in the image of God. Everyone here and every person you've ever met or will ever meet is created in the image of a loving God. And so if this God is loving, if this God is generous, then that means when we love, when we are generous, we're reflecting his nature, the very image that we bear which is why I think God so loves a cheerful giver because it's like a proud parent watching their kid reflect the best parts of them. When we give, when we recognize that everything that we have is a gift to us, on loan to us, that we're to steward well in this world, regardless of how much you think that you have, every resource, every dollar, every breath in our lungs, every skill, every talent, it's a gift. And God says, steward it well. Love people well. Use whatever I've given you to help people find hope and healing in a hurting world, to help people find their way back to God. And so we have a a moment every service that we call giving back to God. And we say back to God very specifically because we believe that everything that we have is on loan to us in the first place. Everything. And I know plenty of you in this room, you give either through the app or through the website, through a recurring gift, the way that my family does. But I know that others of you, you, you prefer to give right now in the moment. And I would usually say something like, I want to invite you to give and to give big, but I'm, I'm going to change one word in that. I'm not just going to invite you, I'm going to challenge you. Because Jesus spends over a quarter of his earthly ministry talking about our stuff, our things. Not because I think he's trying to guilt people. But because Jesus knows that what we do with our wealth is an indication of what's going on in the heart level, what's really going on beneath the surface. 
So I'm going to challenge you to not only give, but to give generously to fuel the Jesus mission, not just so that the mission continues, but because it also does something in our heart, that when we reflect the nature of a generous God who made us in his likeness, it changes us from the inside out. It does something to us, and it's supposed to. And in a world that wants to close its fist around everything, to throw an elbow to get ahead, Jesus invites us to live with the posture of open hands, of generosity. So we're going to sing again the response of praise, but also the response of generosity. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand up again where you're at. Let's sing to this good and generous God. And ushers, would you begin passing those buckets? Let's also reflect the generosity of this good and generous God. Let's sing together. So we respond to God in praise, in in opening our mouths, in singing. We also respond in generosity and seeing everything that we have as a gift. Whatever that is, it's a gift. But we also respond in a practice we're going to call gratitude. And gratitude is a way for us to assume the posture of remembering receiving and responding with thankfulness for all that God has done and continues to do. This, this one, I think, is often a struggle for us, right? Like, we often skip over Thanksgiving and head right to Christmas, don't we? We have sales now on Thanksgiving Day. It's easy for us to jump right to the next thing. God, do one more thing. And God says, pray with confidence that he would. But I think something happens in our heart, though, when we remember we receive whatever it is that God has done for us and we respond with gratitude. God, you have been good to me. You've provided probably in ways that maybe I can't even fully realize. The psalmist again says it this way. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Forever. It doesn't run out. That well doesn't dry up. That God, the creator of the universe, looks at each of us and loves us with an unthinkable love that we could never earn or deserve on our own. A God who loved us so much that he'd rather die than live without us. That's why we respond. Not because he gave us a good set of principles or ideas. God loved us so much when we could do nothing to earn or deserve it. And one of the ways that we celebrate that, that we remember that, is through communion. Every single week we celebrate communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist together. And what happens at the table, well, there's a lot that happens there. The bread, his body, the cup, his blood given for you, for me, for us, so that we can have peace with God and peace with others. But it's also an opportunity for us to hit pause on whatever kind of day or week or month or year you're having to hit pause with all the craziness and say, God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for new life found in him. It's not just simply about thanking him that the tomb is empty, that we get to go to heaven when we die. The Apostle Paul says, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we participate in the body of Christ. It means we're a part of that. Do we join him in his work of bringing hope and healing to a hurting world? So we respond with gratitude. We respond with thanks. 
So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to actually get up out of your seats to come forward. We have stations here up front and also in the back there. But I want you to do something else for me. If you got a card when you walked in, I want you to pull that out. If you don't have a card that looks like this, you can raise your hand right now and our ushers would love to get you one. I want you to take out this card and I want you to write down, actually put pen to paper, what am I thankful for? Finish this sentence. God, thank you for what? Because here's my guess. A lot of times we, our gratitude, our thankfulness sort of remains internal, right? Like, yeah, I'm grateful for this and yeah, I'm, he, he knows that I'm glad for that. But I think there's something tremendous that happens when we actually write it down. When we see it staring back at us. That's right. God has been really, really good to me here. He's been faithful. He's often done things I didn't understand at the time and maybe still don't. But I know God is good. He's caring for me as the psalmist declares. So I'm going to invite you in a moment. When you come forward to receive communion, to bring that card with you and to place it on the table. To place it on the table is a way of saying, God, this is what I'm bringing to you today. Thank you for doing this thing that I know I could never earn or deserve. Place that on the table next to these trays. Receive the bread and the cup whenever you're ready. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing not because God told us to, because we're supposed to because he's been incredibly good to us. And he looks each of us in the eye and said, you are my dearly beloved son. You are my dearly beloved daughter. That God is in our midst right now. His Holy Spirit redeeming and restoring what we could never fix on our own. And so when we come to the table, when we come together, it's a reminder each and every week to refocus, to realign, to recalibrate. God, I've, I've wandered off the path I've lost focus. I've been distracted. Thank you for this thing. Thank you for this in my life. So I'm going to invite you to exit out the right side of your row to come forward, receive the elements, leave your card on the table, head back around the left side of the row, and let's just sing to this good God. Let's sing together. Because it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy for me to forget. It's easy for me to lose track, to lose focus. But we come together and we refocus, we recalibrate. So let's all stand together. And when you're ready, exit out the right, come forward, receive the elements whenever you're ready. Head back to your chairs throughout the left, leave your card on the table and let's sing aloud to this good and gracious God. Amen. It is good to be together, to remind ourselves that we're not alone in this journey. That even when we can't see it, God is present. He is moving. In fact, I want to just read a couple of these cards from the previous service. And I hope that these serve as an encouragement to you. Because I know that's easy to get distracted. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to kind of get out of alignment. And we gather again and again and again to refocus, to recalibrate. Some people said, thank you, God, for being there when I'm at my most vulnerable and I need your guidance. Thank you, God, for the skills and intelligence you provide to so many who make a difference in the medical field who helped save my son from cancer. God, thank you for every day you allow us to live and love, always forgiving, always listening, allowing me to be a father. God, for bringing me to the Philippines and showing me how to serve you. God, thank you for finding me over and over and over and over again. This guy said, thank you, God, for my wife. Good man. Good man. 
And lastly, thank you, God, for my brother for bringing me to this church today. And the stories go on and on and on. But here's the point. That worship isn't just something that happens in here. It also happens out there. Sunday mornings is the push, not the point. Are we tracking? That we refocus, we realign, we recalibrate in here, and then we take that and we make a difference in the world around us. Whatever your world may be, we get to bring the grace of an invisible God visible by loving our neighbors, our coworkers, the person we meet on the street. We get to be a part of helping people find their way back to God, and then we come back again, and we get refocused and recharged again. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it. He says this, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's what we just did in here. And let's learn, let's sing, let's receive, let's show gratitude to God. But listen to what he puts in the very next verse. The very next verse reads, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I looked up the original Greek of that word, whatever, and here's what it means. <clears throat> whatever. <laughs> whatever you do, whatever your job looks like, whatever your life situation is, whatever you do, every interaction is charged with this sacred possibility to make God visible in someone's life, to bring hope and healing to a hurting world. And we do this because this is what Jesus does and did. Philippians 2 literally reads that Jesus poured himself out. He emptied himself and invites us to do the same, to join him in the mission of helping people find their way back to him. That's what we go and do when we leave this room, when we walk out those doors. Every interaction, every cup of coffee, every meal is an opportunity to bring glory to God in how we live and how we speak and how we love. So I want to conclude with this posture prayer that we've been doing throughout this series as a way of sort of committing ourselves to join God in the work of whatever it is that he has for us. And so the first posture is a posture of surrender. So I'm going to invite everybody, put your hands up in a posture of surrender. It's okay. We're all doing it together. This is a posture of surrender, saying, God, I can't do it on my own. Would you say these words aloud with me here? Let's say them together. I choose to hold up my hands as a symbol of surrender. My life is not about me. I surrender to your lordship. I surrender my preferences, prejudices, and position to you. My fears, finances, friends, and family to you. Now, the second posture is a posture of generosity, and this is hands out, palms open as a way of saying, God, everything that I have, I know is a gift from you on loan to me that I would steward well. So would you read aloud with me these words? I choose to hold out my hands as a symbol of generosity. What I have is not mine. I am only a steward of all that you have given me. I want to mirror the way that you opened up your hands to us and lavished your love and life upon us. I want to live an open-handed life in a closed fist culture. And the last posture is what we've been talking about all day. It's a posture of mission. It's about recognizing that what we do here prepares us to then live on mission out there. So would you join me in a missional hand posture like this, pointing forward and say aloud these words with me. I choose to hold my hands forward as a symbol of mission. 
I want to live for something greater than me. I want to embrace your kingdom mission. I want to embrace and welcome your mission to the lost, last, least, and lonely, the poor, powerless, privileged, and persecuted. And that's the invitation for us, that we would live on mission, not as silos, but together as brothers and sisters, as a community together, to look each other in the eye when we're prone to forget, when we're prone to wander off course. We look each other in the eye and we remind each other, you're not alone. I'm with you in this. Friends, we won't change the world by going to church. We'll change it by being the church. Grace and peace be with you. See you next week.